Hello and welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Sultan. I'm the editor of LNG Intelligence, our daily LNG publication. I'll be the host for today's discussion, our, our first since the annual Energy Intelligence Forum earlier this month. I'm here with my friend and colleague, uh, Ian Nathan, EI's director of uh, LNG Research. Our goal today is to look at our long-term LNG outlook and to look at it in the context of, of this year's market chaos and the many uh, you know, gas and LNG takeaways from our, our forum. Um, we'll discuss our view and highlight the implications for LNG sellers and LNG buyers. So Ian, why don't you run through some of your, your, your main takeaways from the conference? Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, I would say that, I would say that there are probably five key items to consider uh, in terms of takeaways from our conference. Uh, you know, first, you know, there was really the idea that there needs to be a, a major reconciliation between growing gas demand and emissions management. And, uh, and the extent to which that gap is bridged will come down to the shape of policy going forward. I think the second key takeaway is that, uh, that the current market chaos that we've seen, uh, I shouldn't say current, it's actually been really for a good part of the year. Um, you, you know, it, it's, uh, it's been quite something, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it's, it's due to some unique circumstances, um, but it, it still is a clear warning shot about future imbalances if the energy transition is not managed uh, carefully. I think that was really a very clear message. Uh, number three, uh, this is the call for investment. Uh, it, it, was, it was quite loud um, and, uh, and unmistakable. And, uh, and, and that was both for, for oil and gas. And, and that's interesting. And that's something that we, uh, you know, something we've been highlighting for since really the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you know, since retrenchment uh, <laughs> really started to kick in. And, and so it was not a surprise to hear that, um, you know, that everybody seemed to be uh, really flagging the investment question. Yeah, not a new, not a new theme for us. No, 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 absolutely not. Um, and number four, uh, the carbon capture question. Uh, you know, with the expectation that fossil fuels are going to remain dominant over the longer term and in the much longer term, um, you know, our carbon capture has been identified as, as a key tool to meet uh, climate goals, uh, but uh, it's also recognized that there are enormous obstacles uh, to making that happen. And then, then the fifth key takeaway was on hydrogen. And, and this was also a, a big, a big topic at, uh, at gas tech, uh, uh, you know, several weeks ago, and this is hydrogen as a long-term gas replacement. Um, you know, but again, just like with carbon capture, there are questions about market development, and uh, and with hydrogen and building hydrogen economy specifically, uh, a lot of questions about building it in the same way the LNG trade was built some forty plus years ago, uh, and 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 that is not quite evident. Um, so a lot of a lot of issues to consider. Hydrogen always always on the cusp. Hydrogen seems to be. But, uh, well, let's take two of two. I'll take two of those uh, two of those uh, takeaways. Two of those takeaways, and let's see how let's see how they align with our market views. Let's let's start with the issue of gas demand growth and emissions mitigation. Uh, you know, on the one hand, there seems to be little doubt about growing gas and LNG needs, but but the pressure for emissions mitigation is strong and it's gaining momentum. Um, that's even, you know, and that's even with gas being the, you know, a key tool in replacing coal. <laughs> that's right. And, and, 
you know, this really aligns with our, our base case LNG demand outlook, which, which really sees uh, about a 3.6% annual demand growth to 2035. But it also aligns with some of what we're seeing is growing tendencies toward our lower demand growth scenario. Uh, overall, we see our growth drivers intact. But it's worth noting, our lower demand growth scenario is the result of, of two key drivers. One being the erosion of LNG competitiveness relative to computing fuels. Um, and the second one being policy that makes it more difficult to use unabated gas, which in turn could further hurt that competitiveness. One, one point you've, you've noted for quite a while is that you know, LNG was already expensive and encountering competitive, you know, encountering headwinds, potentially impeding its, uh, its greater penetration, but even, you know, an even further, an even further demand. Uh, that's right. And, and our, our concern is that LNG, uh, you know, was, was just simply going to encounter difficulty meeting its full potential. And that, that's been our theme in, in our, our narrative uh, all along. Um, and and we, we'd been relying on, on policy support to support demand growth, but now we might be in an inflection point where policy could be impeding it. Yeah, the, the whims of the green narrative are, are worth uh, worth watching. Let, let's turn to another key theme that emerged during the conference, which is investment. I mean, with the tight energy market this year and relatively few FIDs since 2019, uh, you can see how investment becomes a hot issue, and, and not just on the oil market side. Yeah, and and then this is this is really really key. Uh, so when we see about 150 million tons a year of new. Uh, capacity under construction and expected through 2027. You know, the call for investment is is really an important one here because we see that even more capacity will be needed to meet uh, to meet demand growth. Now, that 150 million tons, give or take a few, uh, you know, will will you know will, will certainly uh, help balance the market uh, by by mid decade. But but that's just in a couple of years. Um, you know, this decade. You know, we're we're looking at a time period beyond uh, the next the next few years and into the late 2020s and, and beyond, and decisions on capacity will need to be made relatively soon. But at the same time, those decisions will will definitely need to take into consideration slowing long term demand growth. And that is, when I say slowing long term demand growth, I mean um, you know later in the 2020s and into the 2030s, you know, and also the longer term traction of other fuels. And that's sort of um, when I say long-term traction of other fuels, I'm really sort of obliquely referring to hydrogen over the much, much longer term. And we, we should also look at the note, the upstream component as well. I mean, you know, there's so many underperforming liquefaction ventures, and we try to keep track of tra- track this as LNG intelligence. Um, the you know, arguably, investment here is is much, if not more, than for to, for in term for new liquefaction, just to just to uh, make up for the losses in the in the under underperforming liquefaction ventures, existing ones. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, this is I think um, uh, really very underappreciated piece of the investment question. Um, and, and again, you know, we, we had been, you know, noticing this for quite some time, but admittedly, uh, it was less, uh, less of an issue, uh, when the LNG market was in, in surplus, um, and, and, and collapsing, uh, the last thing, uh, folks were doing is thinking about investment. And, and this really goes back to, uh, last year's retrenchment, um, and shifting CapEx strategy and, uh, and really, the idea that there could be 
lower capex uh, in perpetuity, and that you know that capex would never rise again to the levels we had seen in in previous years. I mean that again, this is as important for the oil side as it is for the gas side. You know that that pullback on upstream investment potentially to to spend that money elsewhere or to return it to investors. But having said that, we we've seen that with rising prices over the last uh, 12 months or so, uh, it's helped to support some FIDs on, on key backfill projects in places like Australia. And uh, more recently, I think the news this week is, uh, you know, another project in, uh, in PNG. So, so yeah, so like I said, admittedly, we, we, we didn't pay as much attention during the, during the surplus days, but, but now I think it is really important to, to realize that failure to invest upstream will only deepen the need for new capacity to meet those needs. And it's kind of ironic. So you, you, what you're left is, what you're left with is you need to spend somewhere. And, uh, you know, really, if you're not spending on the upstream, it's really just going to, you know, force more spending on other projects elsewhere. And this is part of what I what you were saying is this is what leads us from our sort of your your base case down to the, the lower supply scenario, which you know it's going to leave the market much tighter long term. Yeah, that's right. Now, our 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 base case supply scenario uh, does see a more balanced market coming uh, coming out of the mid twenty twenties and. And that includes the roughly 150 million tons per annum uh, under construction. It includes uh, another 43 million tons per annum uh, reaching FID before the end of 2022. You know that that seems like it's pretty soon, but it's 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 still you know quite a long way from now. Um, you know for for ventures to uh, you know to really move move forward. Um, but our lower scenario. Uh, our lower supply scenario accounts for delays uh, of projects that are under development and under construction, along with uh, export decay at existing ventures, uh, at several key ventures. And, uh, and that's, that's really the, the, the part that we, we need to start paying much more attention to uh, as an industry. But we also see significant supply opportunity. Uh, perhaps adding another 30 million tons per annum in 2023. And there's another, I would say, 35 million tons a year of projects that we, we hear are really garnering uh, interest, a lot of commercial interest, but have yet to make it into our forecast. I, 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 I suppose we're really looking for, um, you know, for more announcements and a little more visibility on how close those projects are to, to firm deals you know, before we move them into our forecast. Um, okay, let's let's talk uh, let's talk implications. I mean, first let, let's look at what all this means uh, for the sellers. I mean, fundamental demand growth drivers appear unchanged, but there certainly seems to be growing momentum for that lower growth demand scenario. And and here, I mean, policy direction is the key pivot. You know, uh, absolutely. And there, there are really several ways to slice and dice this, um, and we could probably spend an hour uh, talking about it. But um, you know, for for implications for sellers, I'd like to to focus on on uh, growth markets and forthcoming markets, uh, and and here is where buyer behavior could could determine how the industry could develop. So consider this. So consider that maybe. Uh, maybe policymakers are are spooked by uh, the LNG market this year and press for faster transition, and that would align with our our low our low demand scenario. Um, alternatively, uh, along the same lines, maybe policymakers are spooked by LNG prices, but recognize that a full tilt accelerated transition may also not be the wisest thing to do, and maybe um, even something that they they can't achieve. 
Um, and, and that would align with many of the warnings about transition management that we heard at our, our conference. Maybe this means reversion to dirtier fuels, uh, or maybe at the very least a delay in phasing them out. Um, but, but truthfully, uh, you know, I, I think it's difficult to see this gaining a lot of traction over the long term. Perhaps in the in the short term, there might be something there, but but certainly over the long term, I, I'm not I'm not as convinced right now. So, you know, in short, I think what we're looking at here is 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 to see how climate concerns um, are going to compete with macroeconomic needs, and to see where those macroeconomic concerns, um, you know, will will trump climate concerns over the short term, and then over over the long term. You know, and and I think the solution here is because um, I think people are going to ask, well, gee, what are the alternatives? Uh, you know, if you don't have if you don't have coal and if you don't have nuclear and if renewables aren't going to do the job, then what else is there? And I think that's a fair question. And and I think the solution is going to be to 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 really try and manage uh, LNG exposure through, through several levers. I think you know there's the the idea that you can conclude some favorable, flexible, long-term deals. I think for buyers, I think market liberalization in places where you know where there's some obstacles. I think that's going to be important. And I think also you need to look at storage development to smooth out seasonal volatility. And this is something where we've been focusing um, almost obsessively on China because China has has been one of the key areas where lack of storage has contributed to seasonal volatility over the years. And we've seen progress there, you know, but but ultimately these things, these solutions, these are the, you know, if there's policy that supports these factors, I mean, that's where this aligns with our high demand growth scenario. And uh, and so that's worth worth keeping in mind. And each country will have a, a slightly different tack, which should keep things interesting uh, for, for analysts. Um, certainly, <laughs> for yeah, sure. that would be very interesting. Okay, what about implications for LNG buyers? You said we need new capacity. There's been an uptick in support for a few projects this year. Uh, it looks like there needs to be much, much more, um, at, at least at least in order to generate the supply you were talking about. Well, to some extent, yes. Uh, you know, the impetus for uh, committing to long-term deals and reducing spot exposure is, is you know, it's there. It's pretty real. Um, you know, but deals with either operating or, or post-FID ventures or portfolio players or traders, uh, you know, really seems to be a capacity headwind. Um, so maybe for buyers, you know, those volumes are, are uh, they're available now as opposed to four years from now. Uh, you know, maybe they're cheaper and more flexible. Uh, than volumes that they would need to procure from certain uh, new projects. Not all of them, but but maybe a few of them. You know, but but less capacity uh, under development only means greater volatility down the road, and uh, and it will take an effort from from many buyers to make this happen. Um, and so, you know, I wonder, you know, if there are going to be some buyers who recognize that the LNG market is about to get more flexible and more liquid by mid-decade, and just may not want to rush into deals given demand uncertainty and the need for, for flexibility. Yeah, I see your, your, your key words are to, to, to some extent. You don't seem to be totally convinced that this is, is going to happen. Yeah, I guess I said to some extent because I, I also think that there are probably some opportunities out there that where you might not need buyer support. Uh, to move forward, and uh, and I I think that there are some project promoters out there that will will take a leap of faith, uh, you know, in the market and find a way to move forward without those commitments. 
Uh, not everybody can do this as they did before. Well, as they did in, uh, you know, in the last wave, you know, uh, this was the role of portfolio players in, in pushing through the last wave in 2018, 2019. And uh, it seems that there are several project promoters uh, out there uh, confident enough about the market and financially able to move forward. Um, I mean, of course, you know, look, you know, uh, you know, Qatar is, is obviously the, you know, the key example there. Uh, but uh, there are several other uh, smaller increments, uh, you know, that that could move forward. But it, that's not going to be the solution alone. You know, I think that, uh, um, you know, there's going to there's going to have to be much more buyer commitment. And even even the seemingly uh, smaller or easier to execute uh, expansion projects, uh, you know, some of them we've seen still need to show buyer commitments. And that's that's some of the the, the market shatter. Right. I mean. That we've been hearing about. Yeah, it, yeah, it does seem to indicate some. There's just some. There's some momentum in this regard. A few announcements earlier this week, particularly in the U.S. But uh, like you said, we're uh, it's just still waiting to hear, waiting to hear a lot of announcements. That's right. I mean, um, you know, I guess from from where you and I sit, uh, you know, this is this is really going to be important. But you know, we are also looking at other risk factors as well uh, that could you know that could make some of these developments perhaps more or or less attractive. And that's why we have our eye on several of these ventures that we're we're going to look at very carefully for our our next forecast. So uh, so to sum up and we certainly have a lot we, we there's a lot there's plenty more to say and uh, but to sum up we'll uh, basically you know our there's the our supply demand outlook to 2035 is intact but there is greater visibility for the low demand growth case and that's our the main takeaway we'd like to leave you with. Um, I want to thank Ian and everyone for listening to the Energy Intelligence podcast. Please check please check back with us soon for our latest content which you can find at energyintel.com.